0: Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life that totally rocks. You're listening to Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS podcast for busy women who want to ditch the fatigue, find balance and feel great with your host and naturopath Jules Galloway. This episode is brought to you by Biomedica Nutraceuticals, an Australian-owned natural health company dedicated exclusively to the needs of practitioners in clinical practice. As the practitioner company, Biomedica are known for their dedication to preserving and enhancing the role of holistic practitioners by providing a range of high-quality, efficacious practitioner-only products and comprehensive, unbiased educational resources and clinical tools. Find them at biomedica.com.au and Biomedica Nutraceuticals on Instagram and Facebook. Today's guest is an extremely well-known and respected name in the Australian naturopathic community. He's a naturopath and homeopath and has also taken on many, many roles and worn many hats over the years, including working with industry regulatory committees, providing technical support to practitioners, assisting various groups in research projects, a lecturer and author, and possibly the role he's best known for, the co-founder and former executive director of Biomedica Nutraceuticals. He's a trusted speaker with a no stone left unturned, scientific approach to his research and presentations. He somehow manages to seamlessly blend traditional naturopathic philosophy with the latest cutting-edge research, which is why we love him and why he's the perfect person to speak to about today's topic. You see, there's been a certain virus on the loose for the last couple of years. Can you guess what it is? And we're seeing a lot of people pulling up super rough from it. Now, In the naturopathic world, we've been banging on about something called post-viral fatigue for decades, which means we already have plenty of tools and learnings that we can apply to this current situation. But this latest pandemic has taken things up a notch. So let's pick this person's brain for some clinical gold. No pressure, mate. Please, <laughs> please welcome to the show the very wonderful <laughs> Daniel Baden.
1: Uh, can we have a drum roll, please?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Done.
1: <laughs> no, what a wonderful introduction. Thank you and, and lovely to be here.
0: Thank you. I do my best. So, Daniel, tell me, like naturopaths have been talking about viral load and post-viral fatigue and those sorts of terms since I feel like the dawn of time. But yes. What do these terms actually mean?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, so many of our patients have come to us um, and, and they don't define it themselves often as a post-viral syndrome or post-viral viral fatigue. They'll often say something to the practitioner like, I've never been well since, and then they'll talk about I got that flu or I got that disease or, or that you know episode happened in my life, and and is that I've never been well since thing that often pricks up the ears of the practitioner. So it means a lot of things, um, but it means really an interplay, uh, to me it means, and and I know a number of colleagues, it means an interplay between uh, many factors, including uh, a virus, but also where that person was at that time in their life in terms of stress and relationship dynamics, um, and in terms of their overall health, any other factors, physical factors going on, um, diet, And, and, you know, what we understand of these post-viral type of syndromes is that it really is an interplay between all of these different factors lining up uh, in that person's life at that particular time.
0: Yeah. And there's so there's so much being shown to us at the moment, isn't there? Because in the past, when you were dealing with post-viral fatigue, it'd be like one person in a household that had the virus, like maybe someone got glandular fever or someone got Ross River, et cetera. But now what we're seeing is three, four, five or more family members in one household, all getting a virus pretty much at the same time, but maybe only one or two of them getting the post-viral fatigue symptoms so it it really starts to spark that question even more doesn't it like why can a bunch of people get this virus but then only a handful of them actually have this syndrome afterwards
1: yeah look once again it's it's one of the the factors that's um talked about and, and i've got to say the if it in recent particular times with COVID, um one of the you have to look for the good side of everything jules
0: and, <laughs> we're trying.
1: and, and a good side of code is that it's finally sparked a conversation about post-viral syndrome because as you said in your introduction post-viral syndrome has been around for a long time but no one ever talked about it it was barely discussed in the literature you know naturopaths were banging on about it but that was about it um, but now, because of the number of people, the, the investment in COVID uh, from governments and other world authorities, people are talking about it. So it's it's in in the medical world, you know, there's a lot of different different theories, and it really is um, helps to perhaps let us understand why, as you just said, you can have four or five people in a family who are trying who are all exposed to a virus uh, may have different uh, clinical expression of that virus, but also only one or two of them may end up with with chronic uh, viral syndrome or long long COVID or or long other virus, Um, and that's, you know, one of the factors that they talked about is genetics. Now, if you've got a family of of five people and only one or two get it, then genetics are there, but it's not the whole answer, obviously. So then we have to start to look at other conditions, like where they were in that time in their life. Were they under extreme stress? Um, were they going through exams or were they morbidly overweight, or uh, having some sort of other inflammatory condition going on and really just got to work down a long list of tick boxes and try to understand the difference between the patients and and and, and trying to work out why they're exposed and then you know what you can potentially do about it
0: yeah so Talk me through some of the symptoms of post-viral fatigue and then also with long COVID or post-COVID fatigue, like do you feel that there's any difference in the symptoms? Like are we dealing with a different beast here?
1: Um, Potentially, but not completely understood. So let's just start with the commonalities. Uh, the commonality in uh, uh, long COVID and against other viruses. And other viruses would typically be, or historically, as you, I'm sure you're aware, is Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, uh, herpes and measles viruses were particularly associated with, with you know, post-viral fatigue. Um, but they all presented with uh, very similar long-term symptoms. And the number one is exhaustion and and that's that that varies person to person once again from someone who just says, I'm, I can work and I can do my housework and go to school or whatever, but I just don't have the same level of energy. You know, I used to be able to kick on till 10 o'clock at night and now at five o'clock in the afternoon, I'm just history. I can't do anything else. Through to people who say, I can't go to work anymore. I can't barely out of bed. I'm out for an hour and I'm exhausted and I'm back into bed. And we've certainly seen all of that. Um, So that can be common between the two viruses. Um, Headaches are very common and probably the number two symptom that people present with, and it's really difficult for doctors and all practitioners because, you know, a lot of people get headaches for all sorts of reasons all the time. So when they're presenting with long-term headaches, it's often not considered to be a um, a post-viral type of syndrome or it's forgotten about or not associated um, and other symptoms would include um, things like poor sleep. Now, that's a bit of a chicken and an egg type of situation. Um, post virus syndrome can interrupt sleep, but poor sleep can exacerbate the symptoms. Um, and so, you know, all the effects of poor sleep uh, are knock-on to cognitive impairment, foggy brain, um, which can also be directly associated with the the virus um, because um, some of these viruses, particularly COVID, and this might be a little more unique to COVID, will cause um, an inflammation of the nerves of the brain um, and and therefore um, start to change the physical shape of the brain. And some researchers recently have noted that the brain's actually shrunk in size a little. So... But That's, you know, quite kind of significant. But I also remember having patients, you know, back 25 years ago who reported having uh, a lower brain mass after um, f Barr virus. So it's oh not unique to COVID, but it's actually, you know, it, it seems to be more common in, in, in COVID. Um, so, uh, Autoimmunity has an implication, and once again, it's a chicken and an egg situation. We don't know if it's someone that's had a predisposing autoimmune conditions more likely to have long COVID, or long COVID is is there because uh, is, is triggering an autoimmune-type situation, and that's what's driving all the research. It's crazy. There's been an increase in diabetes, specifically with, with the COVID viruses, but we haven't seen that you know, in other post-viral syndromes. So, um, and that's diabetes type one and two, which is kind of fascinating. And um, yeah, so that so so there are differences, but definitely the big one is exhaustion and headaches, and that um, that's certainly uh, what a lot of people complain about.
0: Yeah, and there's that there's a, a lot of chicken or the egg stuff going on here, isn't there? Like, there's oh, that yeah. whole okay what did this person have something brewing and and the virus just brought that to the surface and then that that thing's now playing out like diabetes or auto some sort of autoimmune issue yeah. or or did it you know did it cause it like there's there's so much that we don't know isn't there so much
1: we don't know but anecdotally There really seems to be a connection, um, and I know this podcast isn't just about COVID, but it's so recent in all of our minds. Yeah. (laughs) So pull me back if you want to. But there seems to be anecdotally a connection between contracting COVID and the exacerbation of any underlying uh, known or potentially unknown event. So, you know, if you've got a a particular inflammation in a joint or in a muscle, uh, contracting COVID has seemed to have made that worse temporarily for people. Um, And so I think you could be quite right. I think there is an um, association there.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing that's been really playing on my mind as well is is it causing old viruses to reactivate.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I I, um, I think, once again, there is a little bit of research coming through, but anecdotally people are talking about a resurgence, and you've seen this on a lot of ads on TV out of the blue mysteriously, but <laughs> a number of ads increasing around, um, uh, you know, um, what's it called, sorry, it's one of the herpes viruses um, uh, shingles, um, you know, so uh, a reactivation of, of other chickenpox-like viruses, uh, which may be associated with shingles, and we've seen a, an upswing in that in that in that sort of virus. So yes, I do think it can trigger uh, other viruses to um, to re-emerge. Uh, and we don't know always if we completely clear all of these viruses out of our systems or whether fragments of them are locked into various organs for a long time. For example, uh, with COVID currently, uh, even seven months after people have completely cleared all symptoms and uh, passed all tests, they're still seeing fragments of the coronavirus in their faecal matter, in their stool um so you know it's it's suggesting that some of these viral fragments can hang around the body for a long long time which is one of the theories behind long COVID that it actually hangs out in various organs in the body and um and releases from time to time or continuously irritates the immune system causing a a level of exhaustion and inflammation
0: and given that they're saying that you know, the natural immunity that you develop uh, when you get COVID wears off, um, potentially like those fragments are still there like longer than it takes to actually catch this virus again. Like I know people now who've had it twice in six or eight months.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and certainly there's a lot of um, uh, interest around people catching cobra several times over. Um, And and you're quite right, immunity does seem to wane, Um, but uh, it... it, it, um, you know, it's unknown whether the virus actually, you know, has some ability to disguise itself as well, or, or whether it's just the immune system uh, waning off and, and therefore not recognizing the virus anymore. But the suggestion is that the virus can can bury itself quite deeply in some organs and and you know slowly release from time to time for reasons unknown. Um, and it's also thought that the virus triggers um uh, what are called inflammasomes which um are involved in creating a long-term inflammatory situation and to me as a practitioner this is probably the most important thing that we need to consider is in in therapy is managing uh underlying inflammation whether it's symptomatic or not and and you know, there, there are inflammatory processes that go on that you may not have any obvious clinical symptoms. They may come later. Um, but it's important to, to look at the various, you know, markers in people's blood to see if there's any um, uh, inflammatory processes going on. And so far it does seem like that is an issue. And the virus can can take over, coronavirus particularly, and other viruses have been shown capability here as well. But coronavirus in particular has been shown to be able to take over specific immune cells. Um, and, and by taking over those specific immune cells, it creates a chronic uh, inflammatory response. And that whole response is what the body is continuously reacting to, which has been the, probably the leading one of the leading theories as to why uh, long COVID exists.
0: So is that very similar to chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS as we like to call it?
1: Yeah. um, Look, the outcome is quite similar. Uh, And, and, um, you know, I guess there's potentially other factors that people have thought about may trigger SIRS, particularly, um, you know, maybe viruses, but maybe other pollutants or toxins. Um, you may have some more information around that, Jaws and me, but, um,
0: yeah Definitely mould, definitely there's other toxins yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it, you know, I, I think across many different types of conditions that we see, um, particularly chronic type of conditions, the word inflammation seems to come up as the common underlying factor with all of them, and I think that's a really important Good area for naturopaths to look at. I know they do, and and um, and I think that's why you know a number of holistic practitioners have had some you know reasonable success with this. It's not easy, it's not easy to treat, but you know I think we are heading in the right direction with that approach.
0: Yeah, because there's there's no anti-inflammatory pharmaceutical medications that come to mind that, that would do what we're talking about because when we're talking about inflammation from a naturopathic point of view we're talking about something that's a lot more systemic it's not just like taking like a anti-inflammatory for a sore knee or something
1: yeah and i think it's a fairly different approach you're quite right um you know when you look at a pharmaceutical anti-inflammatory i generally think we're talking about an agent that's extremely powerful that is focused on up or down regulating one specific enzyme system um, or one, you know, hormone in the body, and it, um, you know, it's quite. That's the focus of pharmaceuticals. Um, naturopathically speaking, I think we look at inflammation as a as a systemic um, issue, and we're trying to address a whole lot of um, mediator factors. You know, could be bradykinin or interleukins or, you know. Uh, p1s p2s all sorts of different things that we're looking at and we're trying to rebalance the whole system but the other interplay that comes in there which we're learning about more and more and more is a relationship with the microbiome even in medicine they're talking about um, COVID causing a dysbiosis which may lead to long COVID so that's currently coming up in some of the medical journals um, but we, we know, you know in holistic medicine that the impact that various viruses and also the human response to a virus can change the microbiome. So part of our therapy is not just looking at um, naturopathic anti-inflammatories, whether they be herbs or nutrients, but also addressing the microbiome um, at the same time to do with the whole symptom picture. Um, and the other aspect, which which I guess shouldn't be um, under excluded, is 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 you know because we're human beings, is um, probably a, a word like spirituality or sense of reason. People, it's fascinating when people do have um, uh, post viral syndromes and 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 long COVID. They, it affects their sense of worth. Um, and you know they feel guilty about it often and uh, and I tell me if you haven't had patients like this but I certainly have seen patients over the years that start to feel lose confidence self-confidence with these these types of disease they don't feel that they're really contributing to the family anymore um, or to society anymore they can't work they can't get out of bed so their partner or their kids is doing everything that and you know, it reinforces their guilt so a big part of what we, need to do holistically is, is not just deal with the, the physical aspects of the human being, um, but we also need to step back and look at the whole person and, and do what we can, or work with someone um, if, if we need to, um, that can actually deal with those aspects. Because I feel that for long term recognition and therefore therapy, those other aspects that are non-physical are of equal importance if not greater importance. So it's the whole picture, Jules.
0: I love it. You wouldn't be a naturopath if you didn't steer this topic of conversation right around to the gut and a bit of spirituality thrown in. I'd expect nothing less. (laughs) (laughs) Call
1: us crazy. (laughs) You're crazy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I I just want to touch on that whole inflammation thing a little bit further in relation to other viruses as well because like you know obviously you know we we mentioned a few other viruses that also like to reactivate is inflammation possibly and even microbiome and all everything you mentioned is that something we can apply to post viral fatigue caused by these other things
1: Yeah look I think I really do think it is um Mainly because you know chronic low-grade subclinical inflammation um, causes changes in various body systems that we may not be aware of, but over time can cause fundamental shifts in in someone's biochemistry, and probably one of the key mediators uh, behind that statement is. For example, the effect that chronic inflammation can have on the microbiome would be one great example. So if you have a chronic inflammatory gut issue, and that may have come from a virus or it may come from another cause, a toxin or an allergen. um, For example, you may be allergic to or have an issue with, with dairy products, and you may be reacting to casein or lactose chronically, and that sets up a chronic inflammatory response in the gut. Uh, And so you get an inflammation often around, you know, the, the beta lymphoid follicles in the gut. And those beta lymphoid follicles start to change the local pH as they're inflamed. And when you get a shift to the local pH, you may invite uh, a change in the microbiome and that change in the microbiome continues because the microbiome in, is, isn't one bacteria. It's, it's, it's thousands of bacteria all working together. And I think that's the key point we have to remember is that the whole, all of these bacteria work together. They don't work singly. And so you start to get a bit of a knock-on effect and you might start to develop quantum shifts in pH. Uh, And then once that happens, you start to allow other uh, pathogens to find their way into the gut. So I know that a number of holistic practitioners get interested in parasites and and blastocystis and, and all these sorts of things. I've never seen blastocystis as the real problem personally. I've always seen it as a marker that something is not right in the gut uh, in terms of the microbiome. So when I see patients that have come in that have had higher levels of blastocystis, I would say, well, you know, let's try to look at what's happening with the microbiome as best we can and work on fixing the microbiome. And so far, um, you know, I think it's been quite successful where other pathogens start to disappear as you start to correct the microbiome. And you can only correct the microbiome if permanently, if you deal with the source of irritation to the microbiome, which once again takes us back to the inflammation. So, you know, it's all tied in together. And, and viruses can do the same thing. So it's well known that viruses can actually change um, various bacteria in the gut. And, and our ability to recover from those bacterial changes depends on our diet, lifestyle, attitude. And that's, I feel, quite important to long-term sustainability because, you know, with a virus, you can get infected. Uh, it can affect, and I'm just talking about the gut, but it seems to be a cleaner example. Um, you can get an infection in the gut or that affects the gut. Um, that will change the microbiome. And for most people, once they clear the virus, the microbiome will return back to normal, providing that person is eating well, sleeping well, living well. Um, but if they don't, um, that change to the microbiome may take a lot longer or may never happen, and you can give people probiotic supplements and whilst they're taking the supplements, they feel better uh, and and two weeks after the, and this is this is in the journals two weeks after they take stop taking the supplements, they revert back to their pre supplementary state because you haven't addressed the the, the, the real underlying problems so you know, we, we shouldn't just depend on giving someone probiotics. We really need to investigate and understand and work holistically with our patients to deal with the core issues at the same time. Does that make sense? It's,
0: it's so interesting you should say that because I've had a couple of clients recently that that really show like they, they show that perfectly in that they'll come to me in the first appointment and they'll say, I don't care what else you do with the current supplements I'm on, but you cannot take me off this probiotic. If you take me off this probiotic, all hell breaks loose. And it's not even two weeks. It's two days. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, I'm I'm not taking you off your probiotic this week, but we have to actually sort out why that's not working for you in in the way that it should. Like it's literally what one of my lecturers at, at, at college called money down the dunny. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in one end. Out <laughs> it goes.
1: Yep, yep, yep.
0: Feels good while it's in there, yep. but as soon as it's gone, it's gone. Well, look, you
1: know, I think it's always important, and I hope you share this, but please do you know, um, please feel free, free to disagree with me. Um, I, I really think that one of the roles that we have as, as holistic practitioners is 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 to work with our patients and. and consider food and life and spirituality to be the real long-term medicines and supplements are there to help us get us back on track and and that 's that 's my you know, long term vision of these uh, uh, types of products, so they 're quite a right money down the donny, but they 're really important in the meantime
0: <laughs> yeah in in the meantime they can still have them, but oh yeah it 's not forever um, but yeah i I, I love that you 're weaving good old fashioned naturopathic philosophy and values in through all the science because some sometimes we do get so caught up in. Which pill and which fantastic supplement and which antiviral herb and which anti inflammatory yeah. that, that you know, you see it on the forums, like I'm in those naturopathic Facebook groups and it's like, okay, who's using which herb for, you know, yeah. long COVID or, or yeah. ongoing glandular fever? And and okay, what, what, what quantities? Which which herbs? And it's like, that's great, but we we need to be also talking about the individual and the whole person. And it, it was only yesterday I prescribed something sunshine to a client and I was like, oh my God, who even am I?
1: <laughs> well guess Just what? There's actually sun. There, there actually is a study on sunshine and COVID. Oh my and, God, uh, can you send
0: it, it to me? Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> people do well with sunshine, a bit of vitamin D.
0: Who knew, right? Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> and the
1: studies I always, always love referring, and I've done a, a you know, as you I know i 've been very involved in, in naturopathic approaches to cancer and oncology for many years and 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 there are many similarities with chronic diseases and illnesses um, and one of the one of the interesting aspects that comes up with all chronic conditions is the more time you spend in nature, the better off you are, and the quicker you recover uh, and We just keep forgetting that for us that live in the big cities. Uh, we just keep forgetting that how important it is for us to be in the trees and the forests and listen to the streams and all that sort of stuff. and um, you know there is a bit of evidence for for why that is also uh, useful and and all the uh, trees drop a bit of pollen that stimulate the immune system and 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 enough to get the immune system invoked and back back in order and And so it's just so important.
0: Yeah, that's great. But what do you do if you're living in a city right now and you've just had COVID and you're sitting around in your concrete bunker?
1: Yeah, look, you know, if you're lucky, you can find a way to, and you know, be very nice to your friends or your partner and see if they'll take you mm-hmm. to the Botanic Gardens and spend some time in the Botanic Gardens or the nearest park or, you know, do what you can. But you've just got to find some trees and some green and some beauty and some sunshine to um, spend some time in.
0: Sounds awesome, though. Like, seriously, get your shoes off, go put your feet yeah. in the dirt.
1: Yep. 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 All of that. All yep. of that. It's yeah.
0: incredibly beneficial. And we forget we forget those simple things when we go looking for, like, the latest, you know, cure-all herb or the latest scientific study to show that something is amazing. Yeah,
1: and we need those things. We need We need science and we need to understand how what we're prescribing to our patients works and why it works but at the same time it doesn't mean we should forget about what our true roots are and that that really is about empowering the patient to to, to trust themselves to improve their own health um, and, I, and i really do feel that one of the issues in in, in medicine is generally patients have given up on trusting themselves and they just want to be given something uh, and, and not really take personal responsibility sometimes. Um, and we've got to work with our patients to, to, to understand why it's important to trust themselves and their innate sense of what's best for them at the same time. Uh, you know I don't think we can lose that.
0: And we can definitely mix and match. Like the person I prescribed sunshine to did also get some tryptophan in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 Absolutely. No, no, you've got to. You've got to. It's part of everything. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, let's talk herbs and supplements because you did provide me with the perfect segue. Um, (laughs) What have you come across in your research and in your practice that you found useful for post-viral fatigue?
1: Yep. Um, okay. So, one of the areas that I I think is just so important is uh, things like glutathione and NAC, uh, or N-acetyl cysteine, and I think that's really important because we've we've talked a lot so far about you know these post-viral syndromes potentially being associated with long-term inflammation. When you have long-term inflammation, you're creating a lot of free radical activity. And the one of the body's key uh, nutrients um, that we produce inside our bodies to help battle uh, chronic oxidation and inflammation is, is glutathione. And we can easily spend our, new, our glutathione reserves, and it takes... Some effort for the body to reproduce glutathione. So, I think from a supplementary point of view, I'm a particularly a big fan of NAC um, over glutathione, to be honest, um, because I think it works better. I think there's better research. I think it's a lot cheaper. And um, I think the body uses it a lot more wisely. So, NAC and particularly if there's a chronic cough. Now, a chronic cough, we didn't mention earlier, is one of the symptoms of specifically of uh, long COVID, not so much other viruses, but long COVID will often have a chronic cough. So if, if that's the situation, I'm very confident in recommending NAC to those patients for two reasons. One is the glutathione, and, and the lung tissue is particularly rich in glutathione, which tells me that it's really important to be there. And secondly, NAC has a mucolytic type of effect, meaning that it breaks down uh, tenacious or thick mucus uh, which is also really important. If you don't break down your, your thick mucus, you can end up with secondary bacterial infections, uh, which means antibiotics. If, you, if you're in medicine, um, so NAC has a, a really important role to play there. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I also uh, think that um, uh, you know, stuff that we've we've we been using for many many years: uh, bromelain, quercetin, vitamin C are really important. Um, nutrients to help manage their inflammatory responses uh turmeric for the same reasons um and i would think turmeric is really important but over time you know it's it's fairly dose dependent you've got to take a reasonable amount of turmeric and for some patients um, and turmeric is uh, uh, curcumin you might see it in bottles is is uh for some patients that have long cover they also not uncommonly have an irritated gut, and for those patients, the higher doses of curcumin or turmeric can, can irritate their gut at the same time. So I'm a little careful with that one, and um, I do give it to patients if they don't have the gut associated gut issues, uh, otherwise I'll use a, um, a liposomal form, for example. Um, But bromelain, quesedin, vitamin C, and I try to stay away from the uh, higher amounts of the ascorbic acid. So I I wouldn't use a straight ascorbic acid powder for those patients for the same reasons. Their guts are already a bit irritated. But I don't use ascorbic acid if it was blended with uh, calcium ascorbate or sodium ascorbate, uh, these types of uh, nutrients.
0: So would you do Um, liposomal C?
1: Yeah, look, I I would if their gut is really irritated. Uh, What I've learned from the oncology work that we've done, which I apply to these conditions as well, is that I would tend to use liposomal C where someone has a severely irritated gut and they can't deal with other forms um otherwise you know vitamin c is very highly water-soluble and for most people it's not a problem unless they're you know in once again oncology on chemo which is causing a lot of gut issues uh or and you know, they have a post a long-term COVID type of condition uh, or, or a post-viral situation which is causing them a lot of gut irritation once again, if you remember what we talked about earlier, that gut irritation is, is microbiome pH associated. Um, so, you know, uh, if we can address that, then they can usually tolerate vitamin C, but I would use a liposomal in the short term while I'm trying to get there. Yeah. And um,
0: sorry, gonna... go on. No, I was just just thinking out loud, which I shouldn't do on a podcast. Um, I was thinking that (laughs) a a lot of my clients, when they actually got COVID, um, they ended up with more irritation in the gut because they were reaching for a lot of, like, convenience foods and kind of starchy foods because they didn't feel like eating or maybe they couldn't get out to do the shopping they would normally do and they'd end up having more gluten or more dairy or more sugar or whatever. And then they ended up with more gut irritation right at the point in time when they really didn't need it.
1: Yeah, well, you're yeah, yeah, spot on. Um, and, and, and and I personally, I think, and, and backed up by the research, I think sugar is one of the biggest issues. Um, you know, for, for a number of reasons. A, it can affect the microbiome directly. Uh, and B, it has a direct negative effect on the immune system and can amplify a viral um, a viral attack so you know to me sugar is is probably one of the biggest no-nos in this whole post-viral world the other area we haven't really discussed very much um, is is the effect of uh, virus uh, viruses on the mitochondria and the mitochondria are the you know the energy production houses of every every cell and um they have an interesting relationship with um, uh, post-viral syndrome so they can be suppressed quite easily by a virus Uh, this is part of the human cell uh, defense mechanism so mitochondria can down regulate themselves or switch themselves off temporarily reducing energy production so you know when you get a virus you can feel exhausted and tired and these sorts of things but you know then we look at the other connection where these viruses as we mentioned earlier can inflame nerve systems nervous systems or your nerve roots and you know up to 30 to 40 percent of your mitochondrial activity is is transported uh, through various protein pumps up and down um, uh, axons and, and, and dendrons uh, dendritic cells, and um, and if, if there's inflammation going on there, you don't get this active transport happening either. So you get a suppression of of, of, uh, of um, uh, mitochondria. They lose uh, transport ability, uh, and unless we deal once again with the inflammation, um, we, it's very hard to get the mitochondria fired up again. So if we're looking at mitochondria specific nutrients, which I think are really, really important. uh, Then we start to look at our vitamin B12s, uh, coenzyme Q10s, magnesium, copper, and and I think copper is really important, and uh, and iron as well. And every patient needs magnesium, we all know that. So so they're the nutrients I I consider to be really important um, there as well. And finally, the other nutrient which I uh, think is quite important, particularly if there's um, uh, any associated pain or or sleep issues, is PEA. Oh, I was hoping
0: you'd mention him (laughs) because I was going to ask you, where's the (laughs) P?
1: Where's the P? So um, you've got to be careful what company you say that. Where's the P? Yeah, so so PEA is has been uh, interesting because it seems, yeah, just the anecdotal patient feedback is that it's helped with related anxiety and sleep issues, and by um, uh, I guess by improving those cannabinoid receptors and allowing endocannabinoids to to do their job more efficiently, and I suspect that that's a key role for P there. The research around P and post viral syndromes is not strong, but the the, um, the patient feedback, which I've seen and heard, has been quite impressive for for the right sorts of patients. There,
0: yeah, and there's a there's an interesting study, although it's teeny tiny. So I know yeah. we're meant to kind of look at it through that lens, but yeah. it's like a, a study of 12 or 13 people. Um, but it, they have been using PEA to sort out that uh, loss of taste and smell issue. Yeah. And yep. so I've, I've been using that in clinic as well. And I can tell you right now that I think their little N equals 12 or N equals 13 study, I think it's bang on. So I think and, – and so if we have a look at uh, – if we work backwards through that and have a look at why are people losing their sense of taste and smell around day six, like then we have to look at whether there's like an inflammatory aspect, you know, in the nervous system there. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely some interesting sort of preliminary stuff coming out. Like I can't wait to see some bigger studies. I'm sure they're on their way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, as we know, the virus attacks uh, ACE2 receptors particularly. And and these ACE2 receptors are quite rich in, in the olfactory nerve bundle. Um, and it's thought that that's one of the reasons that people lose their taste and smell uh, is because it's, it's the, you know, we, the virus has specific receptors in those nerves that, that it will attack.
0: Yeah right. Hmm. Aren't there a whole lot of ACE two receptors in the like female reproductive area as well? Because I've seen a lot of upset cycles, uh, absolutely cycles, absolutely
1: as well. Yep. So someone I I I read the paper a long time ago, but they worked out and I can't remember how they did it, but they worked out whether the the richest um, volumes of ACE two receptors are in the human body and, um, you know, as a clinician, I was interested in where they were, not particularly the scientific method, how they got to work out where they were, so mm. I remember where they were and 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 they they the the female reproductive tract is very rich around the heart is very rich, the lungs and um particular nerve bundles in the brain are also very rich, and the gut and and you know that's where we see a lot of the ongoing issues um Firstly, where people who severely react to the virus uh, are affected in those areas, and secondly, where people display the symptoms of, of long COVID-type symptoms. Um, so, you know, lung, heart, um, brain, and, and, um, and, and female repro as well. Yeah. Mm. It's so
0: It's so interesting. I can't wait for more research to come out.
1: Oh, I think I think over the next five to ten years, there'll <laughs> be a lot of stuff coming out about this. Uh, there are so many groups around the world um, working. You know, I, I probably, you know, I spend every morning just just reading through a couple of journals just to try to stay up to date. But it's it's near impossible because whilst there's lots of different groups working, they're not really connecting with each other. Um, So, all you get is fragments of studies from everywhere, and one day somebody will coordinate it all. And here's a job for you. Jobs just coordinate all the studies. Um, That's a hard part. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of where it's 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 really at. So if I was going to suggest anything, is is really you know working at reducing inflammation, and that is not just taking anti-natural anti-inflammatories, although that's an important part of it. It's working with the microbiome person's lifestyle, their diet and their spirituality and their sense of who they are. And I and I think all of these things are just completely and strongly integrated and that's why I think, um, you know, working with a practitioner can make such a difference to someone's life in the long term.
0: Absolutely. Mm. So if someone's at home listening to this and there's a virus in their house right now, yeah. what would be the very first things you would advise them to do in order to hopefully avoid some of this malarkey?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think, A, it's important to keep your your immune system as vibrant as it possibly can be, but without overstimulating it, um, because we do know that overstimulation of the immune system can be a bit of a problem as well in terms of symptomatology. So we want to keep an Keep a fairly nutrient-rich diet and/or supplements uh, to help make sure that we have a nutrient-rich diet. Um, I find things like, you know, considerations around sleep, moderate exercise, and um, to, to be absolutely critical. Um, and, and things like, you know, I just find meditation so important for people um, as well and yeah the, the immune effects of meditation are very well established um and plenty of fluid you know it's just really basic fundamental stuff from my point of view um and and um you know i don't you know if people get exposed to the virus which you know you expect that they would most of us can handle it quite well i read one study that over 40 percent of people didn't even know they had the virus but when they looked at their antibodies they they had exposure um so most of us can handle it fairly well provided that we're in the right state of physical and mental health to make sure that we uh can our body can fight it off fairly quietly and powerfully and um you know by providing those correct tools i think it's just important
0: yeah Mm. i love it i love that we've had a chat about the whole person not just like pumping them full of stuff it's awesome yeah yeah
1: it's critical yeah and 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 we've got to consider people long term and that's it's the only way in my view to to help people long term is to consider you know every aspect of humanity
0: and that's the thing as well i think we have to consider with what's going on in the world at the moment with this virus is this is a marathon and not a sprint like we we're going to catch it again those of us that have had it we're going to get it again like like Uh i said i already know people are on the second or third round so this is something that we need to look at after we've had it before we've had it in between like this is this is something that we need i think is a little bit of a wake-up call to a lot of people that we need to look after ourselves when we're well and and get ourselves to a more optimum place uh, rather than waiting until something breaks.
1: Oh, absolutely, Jules, absolutely. So we don't want to sort of be beer-swilling McDonald's junkies until we get sick and go, oh, have you got some vitamins for us? (laughs) (laughs) That's just not the way, it just doesn't express the best out of what natural medicine can offer um and working with with people to to understand the value of their health and you know taking a a long-term view as to you know health is wealth health is everything um without your health you can't work you can't enjoy life you can't enjoy your relationships as much and anyone who's been sick for a few days will know that so you know it it is and you can still have a lot of fun so it's really about you know uh, getting people to understand all of those aspects will hold them in good stead in the long term yeah
0: love yeah. it yeah. love it love it love it love it thank you so much um where can yeah. people where can people find you online if they would like to connect with you
1: um well oh, that's a good question <laughs> <laughs>
0: no. let Google him, everyone. I'm stumped. Daniel started. Baden, B-A-D-N.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. Um, look, I, I, I generally recommend that people um, uh, work with um, associations to find quality practitioners, and and um, you know people like you, Jules, who you know very highly held in the naturopathic community. Um, I think it's it's important to find the right practitioners with them in their in their territory and build a relationship with those practitioners. Um, I, I, that's that's really the way forward. Um, uh, it, yeah. know, uh, developer, you know, some of the patients I've had over the years, I used to treat their parents and they came in as babies and now they're like 25 and they just live a holistic life and and, and they're in such overall such great shape, you know, and I just think it's long-term. It's, it's really the way we should be considering health yeah. and medicine. Yeah. Yeah,
0: love it.
1: But find the right person and, and build a connection with that right person.
0: Yeah, and if you need to find the right person, uh, dear listener, please contact me because I know lots of right people. <laughs> I'll put you under someone who's perfect good, good we got we got friends everywhere haven't we
1: we, we know people, we know people. <laughs>
0: all right amazing yeah. human um Daniel thank you so much for for sharing your wisdom with us today like it, it really is so appreciated and I know that both lay people and practitioners will be listening to this and getting lots out of it from both sides of that fence. So, thank you so much for making this information accessible to all of us.
1: Jules, the most important thing that this was fun. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you take well, care. And, thank uh, you. Speak to you soon. Thank Bye. Thanks so much.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to Straight Talking Natural Health. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, head over to my website at julesgalloway.com. There's a free quiz on there to see if you're at risk of burnout. I also have an amazing e-book called Heal Your Adrenals, which is a must for any woman with adrenal dysfunction, aka adrenal fatigue. When I'm not podcasting, I'm seeing clients all over the world via Zoom. I love working with fatigue, thyroid issues, autoimmunity, pyral disorder, mold illness and complex cases to name just a few so why not book in and let's work together. All of this and more is available right now over at julesgalloway.com. That's all from me for the time being. I look forward to diving in with you again in the next episode. Bye for now.